So we're going through uh, the book of Ephesians, and um, I had somebody in the foyer just ask me, how are you planning on, I mean, you're in chapter five and a half. You only have a, cha- uh, 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 a, a chapter and a half left, and you say you're going to finish it by the end of the year. How are you going to finish it by the end of the year? Well, um, he's wrong in one way, is that we're not going to finish it by the end of the year. We're going to finish by Easter 2022. Uh, so it's going to be stretched out even longer. And what do I mean by uh, stretched out longer? And hopefully you guys are all right with that. There's just so much in there that carries so much richness that uh, we just got to go through it really slow. Um, but also, I just want you to know this is the last series um, in regards to the believer's behavior because it's been split up into four different series, the believer's blessing, the believer's behavior, then the next series is the believer's family, and then the next series would be the believer's battle. So we're doing four different series through the book um, of Ephesians. And so we're finishing up believer's behavior today, and then um, I'm taking three weeks off in July, and then I'm going to hike the Pacific Crest Trail the month of August. So um, I won't be here. You're going to have um, Pastor Brandon, you're going to have Pastor D, and you have Pastor uh, Jerry McIntosh that will be um, preaching uh, through that uh, month and a half that um, that I'll be gone. I'll be popping in, you know, coming to church um, and those things every once in a while on the the weekends uh, when I'm in town. Um, But that's what the schedule's going to look like. And then in September, what we're going to do is we're going to pick up the believer's family. And uh, it's, it's something that we really cannot go through very fast. In other words, we've got to take it very slow because it is very serious. In fact, this last chapter and a half, if you really look at the chapters, it's about the believer's family and then it goes into the believer's battle. It's just really interesting that it comes to something that's extremely rich, which is the family, because the family is the strength of the country. The family is the strength of the nation. The family is the strength of society. If the family holds together, the world is going to hold together. If the family's torn apart, oh my goodness, what's going to happen? The structure is going to be broken down. And I guess I'm going to start preaching on the family. I got to be careful. <laughs> but, but that's what's going to take place in the family. So we got to spend time on it. And we got to understand um, what Paul is communicating during those, um, those, those verses that he gives us. So we're going to go all the way to Christmas just specifically on uh, the family because the family is at threat, uh, thre- um, is being threatened by um, our nation in particular, and the structure of it is being torn down. And, uh, and so we definitely want to know what the Bible says in regards to that. And then we go into the believer's battle. Uh, I think the family is the, the biggest battle that uh, the enemy wants to destroy. So it's interesting how Paul put them together. You have the family, and then you have our battle is not against flesh and blood. It's against the principalities, the rulers of the dark ages. Right after the family, oh, there's so much meat there. I've got to stop because I've got to preach a sermon that's <laughs> out of this passage here. But I'll tell you that there's going to be a lot of, uh, uh, we've got to go slow. So I just have to mention, we just, we just have to go slow. So we're ending the series today, The Believer's Behavior. Just a review uh, as we walk through this series, uh, when we have the believer's behavior, the word that drives our behavior is walk. The NIV says live, and then I'll use both of them and I'll mix them because I like the word walk rather than live. Um, but, um, so you'll see a change every once in a while. But whenever it says walk, live is where it's at. But walk worthy of your calling, live worthy of your calling. Walk by using your spiritual gift we talked about a couple weeks ago. Walk differently from the Gentiles. Walk by uh, taking off your old self and putting on your new self. Walk by loving as Christ loved you. Walk as a child of the light. And then today we're going to talk about walk with a spirit-filled life. So it's the behaviors that since we have received the blessing of the gospel, we should therefore walk in this way. And he gives us a very, very powerful verse to end this series or to end this connection of our spiritual walk. Let's read it. Ephesians 5, 15, 21 says this. 
Be very careful, then, how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise, making the most of every opportunity, because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the Lord's will is. Do not get drunk on wine, which leads to debauchery. Instead, be filled with the Spirit. Speak to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. Sing and make music in your heart to the Lord, always giving thanks to God the Father for everything. In the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. So when you look at this this passage, the thrust of this entire passage is found in verse 18. Do not get drunk by wine, which leads to debauchery. Instead, be filled with the Holy Spirit. So the three verses on top of it is pushing towards that verse, and the, th- uh, the three verses underneath of it is kind of the, the ramifications that comes from that verse and consistently builds on it. And that's where we get our topic. A believer walks with a Spirit-filled life as it does connect those three top verses. When we start talking about the Holy Spirit, we need to get very logistical um, in understanding how the Holy Spirit works, um, just as a result that it is one of the most inter- misinterpreted um, doctrines in the Bible, and it is the one that is um, most um, u- misused as well, and most um, uh, misrepresented. So when we're looking at the Holy Spirit, there's a, a couple things we need to know, that there is an indwelling of the Holy Spirit, and then there's a filling of the Holy Spirit. They're two different things, and we need to look at the two different things. The indwelling of the Holy Spirit uh, comes into your life when you accept Christ um, as your Savior. Uh, Jesus left heaven, and he came to earth and lived a perfect life, and we live this perfect life, a life that you could not live. He went it for, came into it for a reason, and the reason was because he was going to save you. Uh, he wanted to save the world from their sins, so he went to the cross, and he died paying the price of your sins, and then went to the grave and rose again and now alive. Us believing in that, because if we believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, we will be saved. If we believe in that specific event that took place 2,000 years ago, there's something that happens to us. The Holy Spirit enters us at the belief. That we now have the Holy Spirit indwelling us. In fact, we look at the, the first chapter in Ephesians, we are sealed with the Holy Spirit. We're not alone. We are a child of God, and part of being a child of God means we have the indwelling of the Holy Spirit, and it will never leave us. It will walk with us. It is always there. That is the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. The filling of the Holy Spirit is, is, is a little bit different. The filling of the Holy Spirit is a concept and an understanding that I know the Spirit is there. And the amount that I know the Spirit is there is the amount that I'm going to be filled up and the amount that I don't know the Spirit is in my life is the amount that I'm just gonna, my cup is, is going to be empty. So the Spirit is there, but do you believe it? Do you understand it? Remember what the Spirit's job is in John 14? I'm supposed to testify about what Jesus said. I am a teacher. I am a comforter. What the Holy Spirit is doing is working in your life to allow you to understand what Christ has done and what you possess inside of Christ. And the Holy Spirit works very powerfully in people's lives to fill you up. But then we have passages that says the Holy Spirit can be grieved. The Holy Spirit's inside of a believer, and they just don't even act like it's there. And they just live in sin as if the Holy Spirit is not even there. The Holy Spirit can also be quenched. What's it doing? It's pulling down the filling up. It's pulling down the filling up because it's a statement that I know it's there, it's there but I really don't believe it. It's there, but uh, I really don't 
Act like it's there, and the Holy Spirit's there to do what? Convict you. It's there to comfort you. It's there to teach you. It's there to show you and testify everything that Jesus said to you to make you more alive and to receive the Spirit's power. That is what the Holy Spirit's job does. The difference between indwelling is you have it. The difference between filling is do you recognize that you have it? Because the Spirit is aggressive to show you with all the ways that he works on you to say, I am alive in you. Open your eyes to it. Don't grieve me in your actions. Don't quench me. Because when you do, it's just more like, well, I have the Spirit, but I don't even know that he is there. The other piece of the Holy Spirit that we need to understand is the marks of the Holy Spirit. And this is where lots of misinterpretations come through is that when you start talking about a spirit-filled person, that is um, often described in many, many ways. I had a conversation with um, a pastor that is a good friend, but he's charismatic, and uh, he believes that, um, and he believes strongly that a spirit-filled person is a person that speaks in tongues, and the one that does not speak in tongues is not spirit-filled, and the reason why I know that is because I said, well, I, I've never spoken tongues. Am, am I spiritually filled? He goes, well, you know you're a Christian, but you, you're not filled with the Spirit. And uh, that was his interpretation of what Spirit-filled means. And we can go into other areas and ask the question, well, am I Spirit-filled? Is my cup overflowing or is my cup empty? And if you are Spirit-filled, what does it look like? You, know, you can say, well, somebody who is Spirit-filled is, uh, you know, is a prophet and a one who speaks, you know, uh, uh, the visions of God, is, is someone who has dreams. That person is spirit-filled. So uh, Preachers, maybe they're spiritual-filled, but you know, lay people are not spiritual-filled. And it gets really, really confusing how to locate somebody who's spiritual-filled and not spiritual-filled because there's many different interpretations that have gotten as radical as saying that when you're spiritual-filled, you lose control. When you're spiritual-filled, you have the power to heal. When you're, spiritual filled, uh, when you're spiritually filled, then you have all these things that come upon you, and if these things are not come upon you, then you're not spiritually filled. Well, we can easily get into misinterpretations, but I think Paul, God, when he went to his word, says, I want to make it very, very clear of what spiritually filled means And what I want to do is I want to make sure that you guys know the the list that is there, that this is what a spiritually filled person looks like, that is consistent with every revival that has taken place. It's consistent with all of history that is there. This is what spiritual filled look like. Galatians 5, fruits, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, and self-control. So we can ask our question, am I spirit-filled? You can answer it. I have love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. And you can walk into any church, and no matter what is taking place in the church, you can say, is this church spirit-filled? You can ask the question, is there love? Is there joy? Is there peace? Is there patience? Is there kindness, goodness, faithfulness, and gentleness, and self-control? That is the marks of a spirit-filled life. And you say, well, we're not even preaching in Galatians, we're preaching in Ephesians. We're looking at this passage that gives us a similar list, which is very connected to that list, but Paul speaks in it in a different way. He uses it in a different way to teach us different things even about a spirit-filled life. 
And so that's a passage that we're going to work on, but I want to get that foundation set before we even talk. And what we're going to do is we're just going to go through the marks of a spirit-filled life, and then we're going to see the marks, and if we're empty of it, we want to know how we can increase the filling of it. Here's a mark of a spirit-filled life. Number one, a mark of a spirit-filled life is peace. Well, you just notice that you got love, joy, peace. Well, we just, we just mentioned one, and then you look at this passage and say, well, what's going on, Mike? You don't even have peace in that entire passage. No, I want to go back to that verse. Do not get drunk on wine, which leads to debauchery. Instead, be filled with the Holy Spirit. Why did he compare wine to the Holy Spirit? I mean, what, what's the correlation be- between the two? Why does he mention being drunk on wine all of a sudden talk about the Holy, the Holy Spirit? It, it, I mean, what is the purpose behind it? What is the drive behind it? What is he trying to show us? Well, let's just first look at the first part. Do not get drunk on wine. What does wine do? What does alcohol do? Wine, drunkness, it depresses your brain and shows you less of reality. It's a depressant. I mean, it's a chemical depressant, depresses your brain and shows you less of reality. What does that mean? That means you can behave any way you want and you really don't care. <laughs> Why? Because you, you're, not connected, you're not connected to reality. You can just walk on the streets and tell everybody hello and love and kiss everybody you want. You're not connected to reality, of course, until you wake up in the morning and then you see the reality and the damage that took place behind it. But that's what wine does. It, it depresses the reality. It, the other thing it does is it carries these emotions by the depressing of reality. In other words, if you are worried, being drunk says, I'm not worried anymore. If you're afraid, being drunk says, I'm not afraid anymore. If you're lacking courage, being drunk says, I'm a courageous person right now. If, you're not, if you are hurting emotionally, being drunk says, I'm not hurting emotionally anymore. What's taking place is you are moving away from reality with alcoholism, and as you're moving away from reality, the world starts to seem better than it is because you're no longer living a reality in the process of being drunk. If you're depressed, you're not depressed anymore if you're drunk. When you remove away from reality, what takes place? Peace. Peace takes place. When you move yourself away from reality, what takes place? Peace. We wonder why is alcoholism running so rapid in our culture? Because people are starving for peace. And the way that they go to peace is they go to the bottle, remove themselves from reality. In the process of removing themselves from reality, they have, have peace. The reason why Paul, God, put this correlation together is because everything that the bottle offers the Spirit offers tenfold. If you look at the Spirit, the Spirit does not depress the brain. The Spirit does something else. The Spirit enhances the brain. And what does it mean? It makes you more connected to reality. The Spirit doesn't pull you away from reality. The Spirit reveals reality to you in every situation that you're faced with. Martin Lloyd-Jones says, alcohol is a depressant, It gives you joy and boldness by making you less aware of your reality. But the Spirit is a stimulant. The Spirit gives you joy and boldness by making you more aware of the reality that is around you. Just to give you a couple examples, I just want to give you an example. In the Old Testament, found in 2 Kings, 
You have Elisha, and you have a student that is standing next to him, and the city is being sieged and going to be under attack. And as the city is going to be under attack with Armenians, there's so many of them, so many chariots, so many soldiers. They do not stand a chance. And the young student standing next to Elisha, and he says, we don't understand the chance. And what does Elisha do? He prays that God would open his eyes. And when he opens his eyes, all of a sudden the kid sees reality. What is reality? The skies open up, and they see all the chariots and the armed angels in heaven saying, that's the truth. That's not necessarily the truth. It opens his eyes beyond to what was in front of him, and it gave him a larger picture of what was behind him. It was not a narrow-minded situation that he was dealing with. It was a situation that was in the center of an almighty plan that God had. And this is what the Spirit wants to do. He stimulates your mind to open it up to see what is really going on. Give you another modern-day example. Say if you go bankrupt, what does it do? It, it, it ruins your heart. It ruins your structure. It ruins your emotions. It, it, it tears you down. Is that reality? Often when we go bankrupt, that is what we feel like reality is. I have no reason to live anymore. It's all come down upon me, and this is what you see. But what is reality if you went bankrupt? Reality that if you know Christ and have gone bankrupt, you're still as rich as Bezos who owns Amazon because, unless he finds Christ. You have all the wealth in the world, and you've never left it no matter what takes place here in heaven. This is what the Spirit wants to show you. He says, don't look at reality of what is in front of you. Open your eyes to the truth that goes so far beyond this life, that goes so far beyond what is taking place. See, we get consumed in reality, and then we backtrack by grabbing the bottle to take us further away from reality. He says, don't get drunk with wine. Be filled with the Spirit, and you will be given what? Peace to an understanding of more reality. I had somebody come into my office this last week, and um, he's an older individual who has leukemia, and, um, and he's not going to make it, and he knows that. There's no cure for that, and he goes through blood transfusions, and he came to talk to me even about um, his service um, that is going to take place um, in time. And um, as he's talking, his comments were, I'm okay with it. You know, it's, you know I've, I've come to a conclusion. This is where we're at, and this is uh, what is happening. Um, but the individual loves to sing, and uh, has sang all the way through his life. And, uh, and he was very, very strong, not emotional at all, until um, he said the words about amazing grace. Amazing grace, how sweet the sound. And all of a sudden, his voice just completely cracked, and tears fluttered his eyes. In the process of it could be all over, there was a sense of reality that he tasted, and it was amazing grace, how sweet the sound. And there's just a shower and a peace that is over that individual because God gave him a taste. The Holy Spirit gave him a taste of reality, even in the darkest situation you can possibly ever be in, looking at death. The Holy Spirit wants us to open up our eyes because every situation and every single circumstance that we are faithless, faith with is something bigger. It even says in Romans, all things work together for those who love the Lord. What does that mean? Well, what that means is that that's reality. That's reality. And so we can see every situation and say, it's going to work out. Something's going to take place. There's got to be blessing somewhere. If it's not here, it's eternity. That's reality. And that's why the Spirit wants you to see. So let's look at the, the verse and how it's working up to it. No, uh, verse 15, it says, Be very careful then how you walk, 
not as unwise, but as wise. What is wisdom? The definition of wisdom and what wisdom is, is you see the whole picture in mind to make the right decisions. When you have the whole picture of reality and all of a sudden make the right decisions. So you can see that these verses are working towards this concept, do not get drunk with wine. Let's continue. Making the most of every opportunity, because days are evil, therefore do not be foolish, but understand what the Lord's will is. And then he says the verse, does that even fit? Do not get drunk with wine, instead be filled with the Holy Spirit. Absolutely it fits, because he goes into walk this way. Walk as wise men. Walk by making the most of every opportunity. Walk by do not being foolish. Walk by understanding what God's will is. Just to summarize that, walk by the Spirit. And I just said the same thing. Because the Spirit opens your eyes to wisdom. So you know the opportunities that are at hand. So you don't have to be foolish. So you know exactly what the Lord's will is. So do you want a peace-filled life? The Holy Spirit wants to give you a peace-filled life. The only way you're going to get it is open your eyes to reality. Open your eyes, because if you open your eyes to your situation, you're all going to say, everybody's going to say, I'm going to say, it's a discouraging world. Well, I can turn one direction or the other. I can turn to the bottle or I can turn here. Those are the only two answers. Turn to the Spirit and open your eyes to the reality of the way it is from God's perspective. Number two, a mark of a spirit-filled life is joy. Being drunk is not how much alcohol you have had, but being drunk is how much alcohol has you. In fact, if you look at the word and you define the word, drunk means soaked, saturated, or dominated by. The largest dopamine rush you will ever receive in your entire life because what happens is alcohol gives you a dopamine rush, which is is your happy mind rush. In other words, if you drink alcohol, it gives you that dopamine, and it is just a taste of that rush, but the strongest, most powerful dopamine rush that you'll ever have in your life is the day you stand in front of Jesus Christ. I mean, it would just be like, oh my goodness, I cannot believe how amazing this is. A complete, remember how God created us. He created the hardware in our mind. He created it for a purpose because we're walking towards a direction. The largest dopamine rush you'll ever have is when you stand right in front of Jesus Christ. Drunk means soaked, saturated, and dominated by the small dopamine rush that destroys your life and destroys your family when you can be filled by the Spirit that is a consistent, powerful joy that is at the base of your life. Not at every sip, but carries a base of your life. And what are you are? You're filled by the Spirit. One day I will see God face to face and I'll have the ultimate dopamine rush if you really want to get logistical about it. But you know what, today I can open up the Word of God and I can hear His voice. I can see exactly what God wants me to hear right now as I live. And when I do, it's just like, oh my goodness, He loves me. I cannot believe that He's walking through me with this situation. I can't believe that He'd even forgive me in the process of my sin that has taken place. Having a relationship with God is good. It's strong. It's powerful. And the Spirit-filled life is a life that carries the joy, tastes of the dopamine rush, by walking with God and saying, I cannot believe how awesome God is. I can't believe what God is doing. I can't believe the grace that I have. I can't believe where I'm walking to, what is going on in my life. Do not get drunk, soaked, saturated, or dominated by wine. Instead, be filled 
Um, didn't use the word drunk, but it's very close. Soaked, saturated, and dominated by the Holy Spirit. Let him be yours. Take him, let him be yours. And as a result, what are you going to get? You're going to get joy. How do you get it? Let God dominate. Let God rule. Number three, a mark of a spirit-filled life is self-control. Just looking at the words that are in that passage, one word that's a bigger word than that's put there, so it must mean something. Uh, debauchery um, is the word that we're looking at. Um, debauchery, what does it mean? It means excessive indulgence. Um, excessive indulgence, I'm going to take, I'm going to go, and I don't care. I'm going to have, 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 have. I'm out of control to get it. That's what it means. What's the opposite of excessive indulgence? Self-control. <laughs> a mark of a spirit-filled life is self-control. We've just hit three of them. Remember, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, and self-control. We're still consistent with that list, but Paul has given us the direction of what's going on in that list. Ephesians 5 says, Do not get drunk with wine, which leads to debauchery. Instead, be filled with the Holy Spirit, and I'm just going to add a little bit, which leads to self-control. God wants people to understand what being filled with the Spirit is. It's not the loss of control, which many people think that being filled with the Spirit is a loss of control. It's not the loss of being able to uh, even control yourself enough to stand on your feet. No, it's not convulsions. What it is, according to this, it is self-control. When somebody is alive in the Spirit, it is self-control. Not the one that leads to debauchery, but the one that has control. So if you want a spirit of self-control, do not live excessively. And if you do not live excessively, what is it going to do? It's going to empower you to have self-control. The Spirit is alive. The Spirit is there, and He wants you to be filled. Number four, mark of a Spirit-filled life is a desire to celebrate with Christ's people in song. Now we're moving away from that, that top piece, which is moving a little bit away from Galatians, and, and then Paul's given us some other things about a spirit-filled life, and he says it in song, celebrate with Christ in song. Read the passage, Ephesians 5.18, instead, be filled with the Spirit, speak to one another with psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs, sing and make music in your heart to the Lord. Worship is powerful. And if you look at the word worship, what is it? It's singing. And did you know that every single culture across all the nations and across all history, all are connected to music and connected to song because they understand the power that is behind it. Why is there so much power in song? The reason why there's so much power in song is because you've taken something to a different level. You've taken something to a different level. I'm just going to uh, say a couple things. There's a difference between reading the Bible and celebrating the Bible. There's a difference between accepting Jesus Christ and celebrating Jesus Christ. There's a difference between attending church and celebrating church. There's a difference between taking God, Christ's grace, taking God's grace, and celebrating God's grace. And what would the difference be? You take it to the next level, which would then be song. <laughs> that now I'm going to move what I know, and I'm going to celebrate. And the whole book of Psalms is what it's doing. It's just screaming out loud, the celebration, but they're not screaming in words. They're screaming in song. 
They're wrapped up inside of emotion, and they're making the point that I am extremely happy, I'm extremely overcome, I'm extremely moved, and I'm completely consumed inside of this belief, and I tell the world in song. And all the angels in the presence of God said what? Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. What are they doing? They're just they're celebrating, celebrating in song. So don't just believe. Come to church and celebrate. Many people say, well, you know, church isn't really all that necessary. In fact, even in the COVID world, you know, church was being tempted. How necessary is church? Well, I'd rephrase that and say, how necessary is song? <laughs> how necessary is coming here corporately? Because if you look at the passage, speak to one another. How necessary is coming here and singing, celebrating, taking what is in your heart and making it something that you just didn't accept, but something that you're happy about, something you're celebrating, something you're singing about. Carries more power than you can possibly imagine. Carries more power than you can possibly imagine. Do you want a spirit-filled life? Being at church every single week. Being at church when you can when the instruments come up, according to even Psalms, when the instruments come up and they start singing, now's the time that every person should walk out more filled than before they walked in. Why? Because we sung. We sung for 20 minutes. We celebrated for 20 minutes. It makes us alive. It makes us filled. And then we walk out the door and go into the world. It carries the power. That's a spirit-filled life. It's somebody that hungers to celebrate. And how do you celebrate? You sing. Number five, a mark of a spirit-filled life is a life of gratitude. We talk to God in prayer, and we consistently talk to God in prayer. And just to ask the question, um, what should you, the one phrase that you should probably say more to God than anything? Um, and, and we can come up with different phrases of, this is the phrase I'd say more to God than any other phrase. And you can come up with something different than I would come up. But the thing that I would come up that I believe is consistent with the Bible is the words, thank you. <laughs> that I would say the words, thank you to God more than anything else. Why would I say thank you to God more than anything else? Because I do not deserve his amazing grace that has been granted to me. If he did not leave heaven, come to earth, die, and raise again for the purpose of saving my life, I would not be saved and we wouldn't have a conversation at all. So, but since that took place, I have the opportunity to have the conversation. The first word that comes out of my mouth should be thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. It's a revelation that you believe what took place and that it cost. Thank you. It's a revelation that he's your king. Thank you. It's a revelation that he's your Lord. The words thank you carry power and again is so consistent that when there's celebration in the book of Psalms, as they're singing, thank you, 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 is constantly out, and Jesus hasn't even come yet. And then all of a sudden, Jesus comes, he dies, he raises again, he's the answer. After that, what should we do? We should just turn to him and say, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you. And what are we going to do when we turn, thank you, thank you, thank you? The Spirit of God is going to start filling us. Why? Because you'll recognize what you have. Remember, all of us have the Spirit of God that's indwelling in us, but when our words come, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you, you're starting to recognize it. You're starting to recognize it more and more. Ephesians 5.20 says this, Always give thanks to God the Father for everything in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. One of my best stories in the Bible, passages in the Bible, is when Solomon built the temple. 
And when they built the temple in Second Chronicles, the temple is built, and uh, the temple is where God, manifest presence of God dwells. Um, when the temple was built, it was built for God to dwell in it. So all of a sudden, the building was built, and now it's time for God to show up. So what do they do? They sacrifice after sacrifice after sacrifice, and then they pray, and they, they pray, and they pray, and they go through all these rituals to try to get God to come to the building, come, come to the temple, to get the manifest presence of God. And it says in Second Chronicles that God showed up when they said, thank you. <laughs> and as soon as he said, thank you for what you've done, the presence of God just consistently filled. That's extremely consistent with the Holy Spirit. That the words, thank you, the manifest presence of God shows up and the Spirit of God fills up just by the thoughts that I understand what I have and I also understand I don't deserve it, but yet it has been granted to me. Number six, a mark of a Spirit-filled life is a life of submission to others. What does the word um, submission mean? It means to align yourself below others for the purpose of lifting them up. And that's what it looks like. I'm going to align myself below somebody else so that person can be lifted up. I'm going to die so that person can live. I'm going to serve so that person can serve. What you're doing is you're going underneath somebody for the purpose of making them somebody. That's what submission is. And then we get a consistent pattern through the Bible. Love God and love others. And you completed the entire commandments in the words. A spirit-filled life is somebody that looks at people and says, I'm going to do similar to what Christ has done, put myself below others for the purpose of lifting them up. Ephesians 5.21, submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Out of reverence for Christ, why is that placed in there? This verse is saying, out of reverence for Christ means because you did it for me, I will do it for them. I will put myself underneath people for the purpose of raising them up because Christ puts himself underneath me and went to the grave for the purpose of raising me up and saving my soul. It's mark of a spirit-filled life. We can't ignore people. <laughs> Just interesting that, that when it comes to spirit-filled, it's like, oh, it's all about God, it's all about God, it's all about God. He goes, yes, it's all about me, but you can't ignore what's in front of you. You can't ignore the people that are in front of you. Submit to one another. That's a step of a spirit-filled life that is getting stronger and stronger and stronger. Mark of a spirit-filled life is a word-filled life. This is not in the passage um, at all, but there's also a parallel passage that I just, I just have to read because uh, we can't disconnect it. It's under Colossians three sixteen, and it is in your notes. I want you to see the similarities. Let the word of Christ dwell in your heart, dwell in you richly, as you teach and admonish one another with all wisdom, and as you sing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with gratitude in your hearts to God, and whatever you do, whether in word or deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Consistent words and consistent statements, but there's a drive to the consistent words and the consistent statements. You know, you have the word um, wisdom, you have the word sing, you have, you have the, um, the words thank, you have all the words in there that are the same, but there's another thrust to this passage that is not in the other one. And what is it? The thrust of that passage, do not get drunk by wine, but be filled with the Holy Spirit. The thrust of this passage is in verse 16. Let the word of Christ richly dwell in you, and then all of a sudden everything is going to take place 
that the Spirit does. See, what's the Spirit's job? It's to point it to the Word so it will be alive in us. Consistently working together. The Spirit and the Word doing the same job. And what is it? Make us alive in Christ. Filling us to the brim. So do you want a Spirit-filled life? Just in review, keep your eyes open to reality. Definitely don't narrow it, but don't even live inside of it. Open up reality and say, this is what reality looks at from God's perspective. You want a filled life of joy, a spirit-filled life of joy? Let God dominate. If you let God dominate, he will turn you, he will send you, and in the process, joy will come. You want a spirit-filled life of self-control? Uh, don't live excessively. You want a spirit-filled life with celebration? Just go to church. Go to church because we get a taste of it before we leave. You want a spirit-filled life with gratitude? Constantly give thanks to God. You want a spirit-filled life? Submit to others. We've got to connect to others if it's going to happen. You want a spirit-filled life? Read the Word of God every day, every day, every day, every day. He wants, God wants every single believer to have their cup completely and entirely overflowing. God, we just thank you so much for giving us the Spirit. God, the Spirit carries so much strength and so much power. I just pray, God, that we would be um, a people, God, that recognizes what we have. God, we want to be moved by your Spirit. We want to be sent by your Spirit. We want to be made by your Spirit. And we just pray, God, that uh, you would draw us in and give us an understanding of the work that he wants to do in us. Thank you so much, God, for being the God that you are, pursuing us the way that you have, and then giving us the tools, God, to live a life that you have called us to live. We love you in Christ's name. Amen.